Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And as you might have judged from the title of this podcast, today on the show, we are going to be using straightforward language to describe sex and specifically anal sex. So, parents, if you're listening with kids, this is your heads up, or people who just might be squeamish about references to behinds, or people who just play our episodes full volume at their workplace. Yeah, this might be a, a headphones necessary episode to listen to. And, and, you know, we've talked about taboo topics before on the podcast. Mm-hmm. We've talked about sex before on the podcast, our bodies, our vulvas, vaginas, clitorises, and also our butts. So it makes sense that we can talk about, well, our butts again. <laughs> well, no, people have been requesting an anal sex episode for as long as I have been doing the podcast with you, Kristen. Like, I, I have been familiar with these requests for quite a while. And so here we are. Well, in the years that Stuff Mom Never Told You has existed, Caroline, I've witnessed anal sex come more and more into mainstream conversations and even arrive on primetime TV shows. Yeah, I was actually really surprised to see uh, well, not really surprised, but on girls when Marnie gets some attention uh, from her boyfriend. Uh, not anal sex per se, but analingus. Yeah, the internet kind of exploded uh, when that scene happened. There were lots of <laughs> unnecessary think pieces about what does that mean? <laughs> oh, what does it mean? What does it mean? Well, and there was even an episode of the Mindy Project. I think the episode is titled It Slipped. That was pretty much all about anal sex, at Mm -hmm. least as the subtext. And in the words of one of my favorite lady comedians, Alana Glazer of Broad City, it's on the menu now. Yeah, it seems to be. It seems like people are getting used to the idea that it not only uh, can feel good, but it's okay for anybody to try. Well, and the thing is, it's been happening, especially if we consider women having anal sex, which is what we'll, we'll focus this episode on. It's not just about anal sex generally, but more specifically, women doing it because this is stuff mom never told you. And obviously, women have been having and enjoying and not enjoying anal sex since forever. Yeah, forever. But it's only been in really the last decade that it's been okay to even talk about and even experiment with. Yeah, to the point where was it a salon piece we read where the writer was discussing how it's becoming so mainstream to the point that it might actually sap the enjoyment out of it for some people who have been enjoying more so than just the act, but also the taboo factor. So... (laughs) So, yeah, maybe maybe for those of you who really like the taboo, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> We're ruining it. We're ruining We're it. We're making anal sex vanilla as we speak. But the thing about it is there are issues that we do need to talk about and we will talk about around anal sex and consent and health issues and all these things. Not to detract from people's enjoyment of it and desire to experiment with it or not experiment with it. It's up to you. Um, but to help everyone get on the same page 
with it because there there are so many how-to guides now in mainstream magazines. Uh, Dan Savage on Savage Love, Love Him or Loathe Him, uh, talks about it a lot. He gives lots of tips uh, for first-timers. Um, but there are still some nuances that are left out in a lot of those details. Um, but first up, let's move away from the tawdry and let's get down to some legitimate statistics because really the people who got everyone talking about anal sex more openly is none other than the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Here in Atlanta, Georgia, represent... What up? ATL. (laughs) Feel free to invite us over anytime. CDC? We're available. But not in that way. Yeah, that's right. It's been really interesting to see the CDC, oh, that's so many C's, statistics. And uh, also C&C talking about the CDC. Here. Yeah, C&C can see from the CDC statistics that more and more people are engaging in anal intercourse. And it's it's kind of healthily jumped over the past couple of years, over the past, like, two decades, actually. So according to the uh, CDC National Survey of Family Growth, and they were looking at men and women who were engaging in heterosexual anal sex in particular, they found that just over 38% of men between the ages of 20 and 39 and about 32.5% of women ages 18 to 44 have heterosexual anal sex. And those numbers came out in 2006. So that would be looking at reports happening in the early aughts. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a healthy jump from the 1992 survey, which found 25% of men and 20% of women were reporting having ever tried anal sex. And one notable thing about this data is that the uptick probably isn't a byproduct of hookup culture because I, I feel like there's a lot of fear mongering around the rise in anal mm-hmm. sex of like, oh, this is because these kids aren't getting married. They're going out and they're drinking too many wine coolers and then having anal sex. <laughs> Kids these days. But that's probably not so much the case. Thank God they don't make Zima anymore. <laughs> no. Also, who drinks wine coolers? <laughs> oh, God. The first time I ever got drunk, it was uh, a mix of Smirnoff ice and rum and coke. All in one drink? <laughs> no, not all in one drink. Oh. All in one night, though. I was super ill. But it did not involve today's topic. Yeah, it turns out that... According to these statistics, it's not part of, like Kristen said, the the hookup culture. It's actually least common among people who've never been married and aren't living together. It's most common among people who are in committed relationships and are living together. And that helps explain a lot of anecdotal reports that we ran across in our research for this episode about how for a lot of couples, anal sex is actually a more intimate form of intercourse for them, and especially in the context of straight couples. But then the CDC got us talking about this again a few years later when their 2011 National Survey of Family Growth came out and found that even more anal sex was happening, at least reportedly. So not as huge of a jump, but still compared to 2006, where 32 percent of women between 18 and 44 said they had ever had anal sex. That number went up to 36 percent, whereas for the men, 44 percent 
reported engaging in it at some point. Well, so clearly people are getting more comfortable with it, literally and figuratively, which is something that we will talk about as we go on through this episode, that it is that degree of comfort that is so important. And Kristen, you were mentioning that these were lifetime statistics of people who had ever engaged in anal sex. But it's also worth noting that in that 2011 CDC report, the percent of women ages 20 to 39 reporting having had anal sex in the past year alone had doubled to 20 percent since 1992. And what I would guess has also doubled during that time, Caroline, or tripled or quadrupled, is our cultural acceptance of it, at least among maybe the people under 40. I mean, there's still a lot of uh, moral panic around anal sex and particularly straight people engaging in it. Uh, But like we were talking about, I mean, it's so ubiquitous almost. Part of the zeitgeist, it's, as one might say in a think piece. It's so true. <laughs> Our, I mean, butts in general are so zeitgeisty right now. We did a podcast a while back, listeners, in case you haven't heard it, called Fat Bottomed Girls, and it was all about our cultural fascination right now and historically with women's behinds. And I feel like this is kind of an extension of all that. Yeah. Well, I mean, judging by, you know, we mentioned uh, Marnie on girls, but like judging by the pop cultural response, it's totally zeitgeisty. Yeah, if it's on girls, it is definitely zeitgeisty. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was even in the premiere episode of How to Get Away with Murder, which I just started watching. And it was interesting. I was just listening to an interview with Shonda Rhimes on Fresh Air, and Terry Gross was asking her about... Uh, talking about sex on her shows, How to Get Away with Murder, Grey's Anatomy, and Scandal, and, um, uh, and how they have pushed the envelope in terms of depicting sex as well. And so, <laughs> so this is a clear example of that happening. Um, and then, of course, there's Nicki Minaj's Anaconda rap song and video uh, that includes her reference to a guy um, pleasuring her. Named Romaine. So we'll let let you fill in the blanks there. Dot, dot, dot. Um, And and of course you do have, like I I feel like every other month if you pick up a women's magazine or a dude's magazine, a men's health kind of thing, or GQ or Cosmo, there will be some feature on how to do it back there for the first time or do it better or how to you know, spice up your long-term relationship with it. So, I mean, it's just something that we're all talking about. And and to the point where a number of sex writers that we were reading liken it to the way oral sex mm-hmm. was the, the new taboo thing that you just had to try when you and I, Caroline, were in high school. Yeah, well, another thing that these writers are trying to figure out in all of these... Uh, pieces about anal sex is why are so many more people doing it? We've seen the CDC statistics, so why is it taking off so much? And one big thing that a lot of people cite is the pornification of sex or relationships or that hookup culture that you mentioned earlier. That part of the, it's part of that moral panic stuff that you mentioned, Kristen. Yeah, I mean, and, and while Anal sex is often depicted in porn to the point that there, at least anecdotally, are a number of straight guys who are like, whoa, we don't really even want to see it all that much. Um, a lot of people consider that 
a knee-jerk, short-sighted answer, mm-hmm. um, especially when it comes to the question of, well, why would women want to do this? Because statistically, guys are the ones, and especially in heteronormative contexts, guys are the ones watching the porn. Women aren't watching it as much. So why would we need to be mimicking all of that? Um, so if, if we dig a little bit deeper... There are some layers to it, I think, such as a lessening of homophobia that for so long preached that anal sex was only something that gay men would do and that it was something dirty. And keep in mind, people, that it was only in 2003 that the Supreme Court officially struck down anti-sodomy laws in Lawrence v. Texas, even though a number of states still have anti-sodomy laws on their books. And I mean, just there from for, for centuries and, and thanks in large part to many religions, the anus itself and anal sex has been depicted as unnatural and something that is vile and dirty. And that since it's not procreative sex, that women shouldn't, we should certainly not engage in it. You know, and, and to that, that topic of homophobia, though, we read a couple of Interviews and anecdotal reports from guys who either were like, oh, well, yeah, it's just something I do with my partner. It's totally great. We both enjoy it, whatever. Or there were also some quotes that we saw from guys who were like, well, it's fine if I'm the one doing it. Basically, so like I don't want to get too, you know, I don't want to get too graphic with my language on Sminty, but uh, there are some attitudes still out there circulating under this sort of like homophobia umbrella almost we're like uh it's not cool for for guys to be on the receiving end that's just weird right because that is a more submissive position submissive but also related still in a lot of people's minds with gay sex yeah and, and so i mean that's why i think it it is totally valid for us to be talking about this on the podcast, not just because, you know, we do talk about sex. I think it's important to talk about sex, but I, I, I think that the rising acceptance of straight anal sex does say more than, say stuff more than about just like our porn habits and things like that. Because also we have to accept that people just have a natural desire for experimentation. Some sure. people are just doing it because they want to do it, not because they feel some kind of pressure like, oh, now this is a new third base and I have to do it. If I don't do it, then I'm not an adventurous woman. So, you know, there's there's that whole thing. And, and just accepting that, oh, well, some people do it because they enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, it's not all about coercion and feeling like you're less than if you don't. Although the whole coercion factor is a huge deal, and it's absolutely something that we should talk about. And we should also mention, too, that sort of along the same lines as the coercion that can happen, especially if some one party is more interested in doing it than another, there's the whole birth control aspect of like, oh, well, we need to do this because... um, you know, that way you won't get pregnant or the whole idea of it preserving your vaginal virginity. Yeah, I this is if there is a better argument. I mean, there are so so many arguments for good, solid, comprehensive sexual education in this country. But the I, the weird ideas around preserving virginity but still wanting to be sexually active, but we're not going to call it sex because it's not the vagina. It's not a penis and a vagina. It's a penis and an anus. 
This is a huge outcry in my mind for the need for comprehensive sex ed, because as we will talk about, just because you have anal sex does not mean that you are protected from a pregnancy because mistakes happen and fluids can get other places, but also from diseases and sexually transmitted infections. Yeah, I mean, and and, and that was something, too, that was always concerning with the idea of oral sex being the third base. That's the thing that precedes the quote-unquote real sex, which, of course, is incredibly heteronormative and cisgendered of, you know, the real sex being a penis entering a vagina, whereas, like, arguably these other acts of specifically oral and anal are far more intimate in some ways than that quote-unquote real sex. Yeah, I mean, people, and I say people in the most general sense, like, people tend to talk about anal sex and think about anal Anal sex is this thing that's like, oh, well, we're just going to do it because we're wild and maybe we're a little tipsy and I just met this person at a bar when really, I mean, if you talk to people who are in relationships and you look at statistics, like we said earlier, this does tend to be an activity that's more between people who are committed to each other, whether that's opposite sex or same sex partners. But one thing that we do have to talk about is how the rate of anal sex becoming um, normalized has not <laughs> has risen faster than the rate of comprehensive sex education. And with that, we do end up with a startling pattern of young people in particular engaging in anal sex in ways that are not pleasurable for anybody. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this is, well, all of this actually, is coming from a 2014 study published in the British Medical Journal, which focused on a relatively small group of straight kids between 16 and 18 years old who were having, um, who had had anal sex at some point at least, or multiple times. And it's a qualitative study rather than a quantitative study. So it really focuses in on their motivations and lots of interviews, um, But what they found, even though um, it's more qualitative than quantitative, are some pretty consistent patterns. Yeah, so they found that the first time that these people were experiencing anal sex was typically painful for the girls. And this indicates, because a lot of people, too, just assume that anal sex will always and forever be painful when it doesn't have to be. Um, But this indicates, this finding indicates that there wasn't adequate foreplay or preparation for it on either person's part. This also tends to indicate basically a lackluster experience for the guys involved, too. Yeah, a a lot of them reported like, I mean, yeah, I did it and it was... It was okay. It wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be. Um, and there was only one girl that the researchers talked to who described any physical pleasure whatsoever associated with it. And then, even more disturbingly, or I don't know, I don't want to say that one is worse than the other, but condoms were rarely used in this case, except as a fecal barrier, despite increased risks of STI contraction via anal sex, because a lot of these... Uh, teenagers did had no idea that your risks of contracting STIs is actually higher with anal sex. They um, thought that it was kind of the the safest way they could have sex in regard to um, health and also pregnancy. Caroline's doing her squinty eyes. Well, yeah, I'm doing my squinty eyes because I think this is 
horrifying and sad. Um, I am a huge proponent of comprehensive and radically in-depth sex ed because, as you and I have talked about before, and as anyone who agrees with me on the whole sex ed thing knows, uh, you're not going to prepare anyone for what people are going to be doing anyway if you don't teach them how to be safe. Yeah, I mean, and... and also, the need for conversations about, yeah, the frank conversations that people are going to want to do this and it mm-hmm. can totally happen, um, but no no education about the lead up to it. Well, yeah, I mean, there needs to be education about the lead up, how to do any type of sex safely and responsibly and in a pain-free uh, way, both emotionally pain-free and physically pain-free. And also there needs to be the other layer of education that anal sex isn't like a chaste substitute for vaginal sex, that it is still sex and it can still have the same repercussions that penis and, ve- and vagina sex can have. Yeah, I mean, and reading all of these reports from these teenagers made me think so much about when I was in high school and when oral sex was... essentially the anal sex of yesteryear and I could find so much information even even way back then online in the Cosmo.com archives about how to do it and what you should do it but there was and and there were expectations obviously because this information existed that this was something that as a highly hormonal teenager that this was something that I would want to do and something that sexy women who were very attractive would be doing but there was no information about like all yeah all of the trappings of it the lead up to it like mm-hmm. oh if you don't want to try it you don't have to try it um and i feel like it's just the same thing all over again just with anal sex this time and when the researchers were talking to the boys about their motivation for wanting to try this yes the porn aspect came up but that was very much linked to status like mm-hmm. they wanted to try it because it was almost like a checklist that they had of all of the various sex acts that they could do mm-hmm. that they could then tell their guys about and that they could then be praised for whereas of course the opposite was true for girls yeah and i mean this actually this idea of using anal sex as a way to attain status among their guy friends reminded me actually, and this might sound weird, but it reminded me of the episode we did about guys in cars, about how we talked about how men tend to define, not all men, hashtag, a lot of men tend to define their masculinity in relation to other men, not define their masculinity in relation to women. So to me, it makes sense that if you are a teenage boy who is maybe getting his education and ideas about sex from porn, and there's a lot of anal sex in porn, um, and you're trying to define and emphasize your masculinity, that anal sex would be, like you said, part of like this conquest checklist. Yeah, whereas for girls, while a lot of them, I think all of them um, in this case, were having anal sex within the context of dating relationships, they were still very nervous going into it because they knew that if other people found out that they had tried this with their dude, that they would be shamed for it. Hmm. 
I mean, it's just a sexual double standard. It's just a, you know, same old story. So there's an expectation on boys to do it, but the expectation on girls is to not do it or you're, you're to be shamed. And so then it's like, okay, well then. Well, it's even more of a double bind than just an expectation to not do it. There's still an expectation to do it that if you don't want to do it, then you're a prude. But then if you do do it... Then you're a bad girl. Then you're a bad girl. As long as, well, maybe if you do it and then a guy breaks up with you and you are single, then you're a bad girl. I think if you do it and you stay together with that person, then you're it's not as You're a good girlfriend? Much. Yes. Hmm. But as soon as that ends, because hello, 16, yeah, then you are going to be the girl that all of... Your ex-boyfriends, dude friends, knows did that. It's so hard. It's, it's so, so hard. hard to be a teenager. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. I'm glad I studied a lot. I mean, and it, <laughs> and it also, thinking about, like, these guys talking to each other about it, it reminds me of my first uh, high school boyfriend. Okay, who am I kidding? Like, my only high school boyfriend? <laughs> um, hashtag late bloomer. <laughs> Telling me very soon into us dating, in quotes, if you can consider like going to the dollar movie like four times a week dating, about what his ex-girlfriend would oh, no. do to him. No. At, at essentially like laying out his expectations of like, she did this for me and I just really enjoyed it. I was very inexperienced at the time. And, you know, there was there was no information or wherewithal to kind of bridge like where I was and like what he was saying and, and like no you know thing in my head to be like oh wait this this is odd that this conversation is happening i but, hate that but i feel like it's so common oh it is yeah it happened to me too when i was younger and dating guys that would like do the same thing of like oh well i dated this girl and so what i really could have used this is like obviously going off on a tangent away from anal sex but what i could have used when i was that age and and you too was somebody like us being like Whatever it is, whatever it is, if somebody's doing that to you, like, just, they're not worth your time. If somebody's, like, laying out sexpectations for you, um, outside of the context of, like, you know, an understanding conversation, like a real actual conversation about sex or sexual expectations or experience or whatever, like, that's one thing. But to describe what a past partner did, in order to put pressure on you, that is the sign of someone who is obviously not meant to be in a mature, loving, understanding, supportive relationship. Yeah, and someone who just doesn't understand the basics of consent. Obviously, yes. the whole thing of no being a complete sentence and that issue of consent and coercion also came up a lot in these uh, teenagers' narratives about their experiences with anal sex because it played such a major part to the point that the researchers wrote, quote, women being badgered for anal sex appears to be considered normal because we've already established that there's the sexual double double standard at work. And so these girls are nervous about it, but they feel like they should do it, but they're nervous, but they should do it. And there's a the whole pain aspect. There's the expectation that it's going to hurt. So on so many layers, there's resistance to it. So in a lot of these cases, these guys were telling their usually girlfriends like, oh, no, no, come on, come on, please, 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 please. And sort of wearing them down. And then in some cases, using the whole reference back to the Mindy Project episode, it slipped excuse um, for essentially having like non-consensual anal sex. 
And as upset as Kristen and I have become uh, during the course of this part of the conversation, I, I don't think that we mean to say that all anal sex is bad. Obviously. Obviously. This is definitely not commentary on people's sexual relationships and preferences in general. But this is an important part of sexual health to talk about. And researchers definitely say that this just goes to show how badly we need comprehensive sexual education. And that's exactly what these researchers writing in the British Medical Journal were stressing, that this isn't the point that we leap to the conclusion that all teenagers should be discouraged from even trying this, but rather that it's just clear clear evidence that we need more comprehensive sex education that acknowledges that things like anal sex and oral sex happen and that also discusses things like pain, coercion, and consent rather than it just being like, here's how to not get pregnant. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah, it would be incredible to arm young people with information about consent. I mean, even if you're not going to talk about anal sex specifically, to talk about consent is a powerful, powerful thing. Well, and I also have a hunch that sex education that focuses so exclusively on not getting pregnant might end up Mm -hmm. fostering more anal sex because, hey, you can't get pregnant that way, right? Yeah, but if we're talking about things slipping, again, if you're just relying on, oh, I'm hoping that nothing slips out and slips in anywhere else, it's better to be smart (laughs) and armed with information about your body and how sex works. Well, and this is also another reason for us to talk about this openly, because I think the more taboo things are, the more left in the shadows they are, the more stigmatized they are, the more room that leaves for non-consensual things to happen, because you don't even want to acknowledge that you're doing it. And there are, um, there's more doubt about, well, what is right? What is wrong as I'm going through this? I mean, I'm already doing this thing that's taboo, so okay, let's just do it. Um, And this was something, (laughs) this is not all going to be downer on anal sex. We are getting, we're working our way toward orgasms, people. (laughs) Aren't we all? But we first have to lay this foundation, like have some real talk about this. Um, Because this isn't just something, that the issues of uh, coercion aren't just Things that happen among teenagers. Um, there was another study that we found, a rare study on straight adult women's anal sex experiences published in 2014 in the journal Feminism and Psychology. And I say the rare study because far and away, most, most, most studies on anal sex focus just on gay guys, which also, hello, I mean, it's not just gay men and straight women who are having anal sex. Yeah, and researchers uh, for this feminism and psychology study found that five major themes emerged around the experiences of the women that they interviewed. And again, this is another qualitative study based on interviews, conversations about women's experiences. And so the themes included initial resistance to the idea followed by submission to anal sex, um, initial interest in it, followed by withdrawal from subsequent anal sex experiences. So basically they tried it, didn't really like it, it wasn't their thing. So, okay, now we know. Um, 
third, the third theme was violence and coercion surrounding anal sex. So again, this echoes, this is basically like almost an adult version of the British Medical Journal study that we were talking about earlier. And then we have, uh, similarly echoing it as well, uh, the social norming aspect of dudes, guy friends, normalizing straight anal sex and seeing anal sex as something normative, largely based, they think, on like watching porn. This is something that, like, oh, you should do. We should be doing this. Don't you want to do this? Um, and then five, yay, here we go. This is this is the great part. Pleasurable experiences with anal eroticism. And yes, that is a direct quote from a study abstract. Anal eroticism. Don't I love academia? I love academia. So one of the most important things to remember about anal sex as it becomes more and more normalized, as it (laughs) becomes more and more zeitgeisty, is that everybody's different. Mm -hmm. Some people are going to want it. Some people aren't. Some people are going to try it and hate it. Some people are going to try it and they're going to love it. Everyone's different. And... That's just good to keep in mind. And that's pretty much the takeaway of any, like, women's magazine roundup of, like, real women describe their experiences with anal sex. Because, yes, every, like, Glamour magazine, Claire, Marie Claire, etc., has one of those listicle types of stories. And always they run the gamut from a woman being like, it was the worst, most painful experience of my life. I will never, ever try it again to the woman who's like, I can't get enough of it. It saved my marriage, etc. Yeah, but here's the thing. Anal sex is actually correlated with more orgasms. Wait, what? What? How is that possible? Who said that, Caroline? Academics. Again? Again. Wow. Lots of butt sex studies. Uh, so there was a 2010 study in the Journal of Sexual Medicine that found... of women that they surveyed who received anal sex in their last sexual encounter reported reaching orgasm. And this is a higher rate of orgasm, we should note, than was reported by women who'd had vaginal intercourse or received oral sex. And that study finding launched a zillion internet headlines because of the assumption that it's something that has to be very painful and uncomfortable, especially for women, even though I don't know that there are that many biological sex differences between uh, male and female anuses. But there's just the assumption that ladies going to hate it. Oh, but it turns out they love it. Well, some context to this. Um, people think that the reason why there is that relationship between women having anal sex and orgasms is that if you do in it... Correct. Actually, doing it in the way that will allow it to happen, it requires time, patience, foreplay, a lot of the ingredients for female orgasms. Yeah, well, and then a lot of things we read, too, recommended, like, having an orgasm before approaching anal sex. Yeah, so there's even, like, the chicken-egg question with that of, like, are these 94% of women having orgasms having orgasms before they have anal sex or after or on both sides? Well, you know, in everything we've read, anal sex or vaginal sex or any type of sex, is that the more comfortable you are with yourself and with your partner and with your sexual activity, 
uh, and the more confidence you have in one another and the comfort level, all of this stuff is a very positive factor for potentially then having an orgasm. In other words, if you're happy with each other, if you're feeling good about each other and yourselves, you're more likely to have an orgasm because so much of sex is not just physical, but also psychological. And so that obviously applies to anal sex, too. We talked earlier, we hinted at the whole comfort factor for anal sex. And this is no different. And one thing that gets talked about a lot is the assumption that anal sex will be or has to be or is always painful is not only inaccurate, but it's also doing a lot of harm. Because if you automatically assume that any sexual act is going to be painful or harm you in some way, you're automatically not going to be as relaxed as you could or should be. And there was a column we were reading about this in Vogue. Yes, that Vogue magazine um, about one woman's experiences with anal sex. And she made the, the, the very good point that uh, just basic mechanics-wise... Anal sex facilitates more clitoral access. Mm -hmm. And as we have underscored on the podcast before, women are likelier to reach orgasm via clitoral stimulation than vaginal stimulation. So that could be another factor in this whole orgasm correlation as well. Yeah, and I mean, we've cited on the podcast before the fact that uh, women in same-sex relationships report more orgasms than do women in opposite-sex relationships. And so, yeah, I mean, we can't ignore the fact that it's not just the concern of a straight woman or a gay man or a bisexual man or woman, that there are plenty of same-sex couples out there doing this, too. Absolutely. And um, speaking of which, uh, one piece we were reading about this over at autostraddle.com was talking about how, of course, anal sex can be very pleasurable because of all of the myriad nerve endings back there as well. So, I mean... It makes a lot of sense that women would enjoy it. it. What doesn't make sense is that it's so hard for us to collectively wrap our minds around this being something enjoyable for women, regardless of who they might be partnered with at the time. Well, I mean, I think that straight men get put in that category a lot, too, of like, well, whether it's by themselves or by society, capital S society, that like, uh, straight men can't or shouldn't or won't enjoy it. Oh, yeah. I mean, that is also something that th- there's still not a ton of data on it. But um, there is evidence that straight men are engaging in anal activities more than ever before. Um, Tracy Clark Flory, uh, advocative now, previously at Salon, talk to Debbie Herbenick over at the Kinsey Institute, and she referred her to a study which found um, 11% of guys in their early 20s reported having received anal sex at some point. But Herbenick said, well, we don't know exactly what that means because there were no detailed reports on what kind of anal sex that was, whether that was manual or whether that was solo, partnered, all all of the different ways that you can have anal penetration. Yeah, well, I mean, I feel like just as anal sex itself is so pop culturally... I don't want to say rel. I mean, that makes it sound like a trend, but it's so like within pop culture now and it's so talked about. And similarly, you know, more and more attention's being paid to like, uh, women's clitoral stimulation and pleasing women in that regard. The same attention now is starting to be paid to male prostate stimulus that people are like, hello, 
men like different things too. Oh yeah, I mean, I feel like the that's been around for a while. The whole like kind of joking thing of the uh, the old school Cosmo tip that a guy enjoys manual stimulation back there. I mean, I feel like that's almost like a go to question at this point among like. I don't know. I, I mean, like, it's come up in lots of conversations I've had with straight guy friends of like, do you like it? Do you not? And half the time they're like, oh, no. And other times they're like, well, huh. sure, yeah. I don't even want to ask my guy friends that. I don't even. Like, I'm just picturing, I, I can't even picture a situation in which I would, for instance, ask dude roommate about that. Well, Caroline, I mean, I'm just one of those cool girls who could, like, <laughs> drink beer and watch football and talk prostates with my bros, you yeah, know? stimulating prostates. Yeah. Just hanging out over some beers, talking about... Talking about sabermetrics and, and prostate stimulation. It's the old P-spot. Cool. <laughs> the old P-spot. The he-spot. Um, and I am really curious to hear from our guy listeners on this too. Obviously I want to hear from everybody, but um I was really interested to see the the relatively still few and far between pieces and research looking at straight men's experiences with this because really thanks to the um tools that we now have mm-hmm. anal sex it doesn't have to be off the menu for anyone if they don't want it off the menu and as long as you're safe i mean we've mentioned we've mentioned coercion and consent and we've mentioned stis and things like that but we haven't explained really uh for for people who might not know or understand what the deal is with the potential spread of disease everybody's very familiar with the idea that you should always wear a condom and anal sex is no different what's the deal with anal fissures caroline <laughs> all right jerry uh well, well, the thing is, the skin uh, around the anus and in the rectum is a lot thinner, for instance, than the vaginal wall. So the vaginal wall can take a little more friction than can the anus and the rectum. So, hence, the need for lots of lube. But what does that fragile tissue mean for you and me and for all of our listeners? Well, not to indicate that all of us are having anal sex all the time, However, those little tears and fissures in the skin can introduce and make the spread of STIs a lot easier. So regardless of whether you're using an object or a penis, it is best with a condom on if you are concerned about contracting any kind of STIs. And even with um, tools as well, I mean, it's it's good to keep in mind that bacteria can travel on that toy. If you are using it again, it can hang out on it. So you want to clean it. You want to make sure that it's made of non-porous material, things like silicone that can also be disinfected. You just got to keep it clean. I'm not saying that it's it's a dirty, gross area to stay away from, but it just comes with... A little bit different instruction manual. Yeah. In other words, take your time, go slow, have lots of prep, uh, have some lube on hand. You're going to need lots of lube. And just keeping in mind that you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. If you want to give it a try and you like it, fine. If you don't, fine. I mean, you know. And if your partner tries to shame you for not wanting to do it, then not fine. Yeah. No. Not fine. Well, now, listeners, we want to hear from you about your thoughts and experiences, as much as you'd like to share, when it comes to anal sex. Do you think that it's something that signals progression in our culture and society, that it means that we're loosening up and sex is becoming uh, more 
fluid and open for all of us? Or does it just feel like more pressure and the types of sexual people that we have to be in the way that we have to act in the bedroom or, you know, wherever you like to get down? Momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. You can also tweet us at MomStuffPodcast or message us on Facebook. And we've got a couple of messages to share with you right now. Well, I have a letter here from Eric in response to our Anxious Women episode. He says, I just wanted to weigh in on your nature versus nurture debate on your Anxious Women episode. As a gay man, I started to experience mild anxiety around the time I came out at the age of 15. Because I have a very typical gender expression in relation to my birth gender, I was often told and praised because I didn't seem that gay. At first, it didn't seem that out of place because high school kids were not a bastion of self-awareness, but as I got older, I'm now 25, I noticed that this reaction happened on an almost daily basis anywhere I would meet new people. I find that my anger about this subtle internalized homophobia triggered severe social anxiety around new people. I find that most of my anxiety is centered around the way that others perceive my sexual orientation. The fact that people frequently make passively homophobic remarks to me because, as it has been explained to me, I'm a passable straight man and I'm less impacted by my sexuality makes me second guess every gesture, word choice, and facial expression. The result of which is over worrying and anxiety and in some cases downright panic attacks or more often just canceling plans. I think that pervasive sexual harassment, which has been widely documented that women experience on a daily basis, could be one of the ways that we nurture women into having a higher rate of diagnosed anxiety disorder, but that might also just be a bit of projecting. Love the show and keep up the good work. Well, thanks, Eric. Well, I've got a letter here from Nicole who writes, I'm a 30-year-old African-American woman, and I got diagnosed with anxiety disorder during my freshman year of college after having a panic attack during an exam. You are definitely right that culture has a lot to do with notions of anxiety. While you discussed foreign cultures during the episode, I thought to write to tell you about my experience with this as an African-American. As I'm sure you've heard, mental health issues are still stigmatized in the African-American community. When I started college, I was a pre-med major taking 20 credits my first semester. Living away from home for the first time, two roommates in a tiny dorm, all the classwork, and being one of only three African-American girls out of about 60 can take its toll on an 18-year-old. While my friends in college seemed to understand and were very supportive, my family was not. Older relatives told me things like I just needed to be tough, and they raised me to be strong. Things like this made me discuss my anxiety less with them, but more with a therapist. I saw several therapists throughout my time in college and later in law school. And now, as an adult, I found a therapist who has given me some coping mechanisms. As was mentioned, I think it's a very modern middle-class millennial thing to have a therapist. However, I still get some reactions of surprise, like there's nothing wrong with you, everyone has issues, etc., when I speak with some of my older and more working-class African-American relatives. It's my hope that shows like yours and others will help continue to remove the stigma surrounding mental health, especially in minority communities where the stakes tend to be much higher because of life circumstances and community conditions. Oh, she says, keep up the great work. I'm friends with both of you in my mind. Hmm. Oh, thanks so much, Nicole. And thanks to everybody who's written in to us. Momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. And for links to all of our social media, as well as all of our blogs, videos, and podcasts, including this one with our sources, so you can learn more about anal sex and consent and pleasure, head on over to StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. 
on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 